Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. We started doing something a little bit differently, and, and I know about it, and the kids know about it, but I suspect that maybe some of the parents don't know about it. We, we stopped going through the process of bringing the kids back in to this part of church on Sunday mornings uh, for communion. And I wanted to make sure that I explained why and how we're doing that differently. So communion is an important thing. And it's important that we understand what it is that we're doing. And so I would hazard a guess to say that sometimes I don't do a good job of explaining communion at the level that maybe a three-year-old or a four-year-old needs to understand communion. But you know who does do a really great job of that? My mom. And so rather than have this be a time where we're coming in for grape juice and a snack, it's an opportunity for these children to understand what it is that they're doing, to understand that it's more than just a cracker, that this is a time where we recognize that Jesus died on a cross, that Jesus paid a price that I could never pay that their mommy or their daddy could never pay because he loved them, because he wants the best for them. And so we have their own communion out in their their classroom, and and they do that together in their time as we do it here in ours. And so I, I just wanted to share that because I didn't want it to be felt that we were ignoring the, the children during this time because I know that we had brought them in in the past. And, and I think that this is the, the better way for, for this to be done effectively. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you that you desire to speak to your people. God, that you desire to touch the hearts and the lives of your children today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move amongst your people. We quiet our hearts, we quiet our mouths, we quiet our minds as they're racing through to the next thing that we have to do, and we, we get comfortable in this posture of listening, this posture of receiving from your word. God, as you proclaim over us yet again who we are. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we have been working through this series, we have found time after time after time after time, no matter how hard the world tries to define who I am, no matter how hard I try to define who I am, God is still there. God is still on his throne. He is still speaking life and light into my existence. He's speaking peace. He is speaking wholeness over me. Each week we have stopped. We have focused on a specific aspect of who God is naming us to be. And each week we are reminded of how much God loves us. This morning, as we conclude our study in Ephesians 1 and 2, we we learn that we have been given something. 
We've been given grace. Sometimes when we use that term, we've been given grace, we, we treat it like a, a church word. Just one more of those terms that we use on Sunday mornings that maybe we don't know a whole lot of what it is. Maybe we take for granted what it is. Sometimes we get confused between the cheap imitation grace versus the costly real thing. Cheap grace is the enemy of the church. Today we are fighting for costly grace. Cheap grace means a grace that's sold on the marketplace. It means a, a grace as a doctrine, grace as a principle, as a system, as, as a written code that we follow. Cheap grace is justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance. Costly grace is that treasure that's hidden in a field. Costly grace is the gospel that is sought time after time after time, that is preached over and over and over again. It's the gift that is asked for. It's the door at which we are knocking. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And yet it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man its life. And it's grace because it gives us the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin and it's grace because it justifies the sinner. It makes us right with God. And above all, it's costly because it costs God the, his, the life of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay. It's grace because God did not say that, that the life of Jesus was too much to save me. This gift cost something. And, and doesn't that matter? Is there a difference when you have a gift that's given that, that cost someone something versus something that maybe they just found on the side of the road? Think of, of how that feels when somebody gives you a gift, when, when they give you a gift and you know the effort. Maybe it was the cost in time that it took for somebody to, to put something like that together. I have been fortunate enough to be on the receiving end of Carolyn's quilts. And I know the time that that involves. I know the, the effort and the energy that that involves. That's different than if Carolyn went to Goodwill and picked up a quilt for me. You're like, well, thanks, Carolyn. <laughs> 
guess we'll use this for the cat or something. I don't know. No, it's, it, you, you treat it differently because of the value, because of the cost. The cost of this grace was so far out of our price range. It may have as well have been on the moon. There is no way we could have ever saved up enough. There is no way we could have ever done enough to earn the grace that has been shown to us. But Father God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to give grace that says, I am enough. I am enough. I'm enough not because of who I am, not because of what I have done. I am enough because he is enough. There is a name that is applied to God. If you look through scripture, you see Instance after instance where there are different names of God, they call out different aspects of God as, as the healer, as the, the banner over us, as the provider. Jehovah Jireh is my provider. There's a song that we're going to sing in, in a few moments for communion, and it, it uses that name Jireh. And it says that I will be content in every circumstance because he is my provider. God provides for my physical needs. God's, God provides for my family. God provides peace in the midst of loss. He provides rest in the midst of chaos. Do you need rest? God provides healing. He provides identity when you don't know who you are, when you are being called out. He says, Matt, you are enough. I have shared before the, the circumstances of, of how God gave me the, the song, I Am. There's that, the, the line in the chorus of that song that says, I am, so that you don't have to be. And I was, was driving home one day, and this piece of scripture where Moses is, is there in front of the burning bush, and, and he's trying to reason his way out of being used by God. He's trying to provide excuse after excuse that says, I'm not good enough to be used by you. I'm not worthy to be used in the calling that you have placed on my life. I can't say the things that you want me to say. How much of that feels familiar? In the midst of that, I, I was feeling that way. I was feeling that way in terms of, God, I don't know what it means to, to lead a church. I don't know what it means to be a father in my, my household. I don't know what it means to be a good husband. All of these things seem so daunting in my life. And in the midst of all of that, God says, I am. In the midst of that, God says, I am. I have created the universe. I have created you. And because I am, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be anything other than what I have called you to be. 
He proclaims to Moses out of the burning bush, I am, so that you don't have to be in this moment. I am enough. And because I am enough, you are enough. Church, don't let the lies of the enemy disqualify you from being used by God. You are enough. Well, well Matt, I, I haven't read my Bible enough. I don't have that memory verse memorized just yet. I, I don't know this many pieces of scripture. I don't, I don't know what the right church words are to say. You are enough. Every single person in this room that has a relationship with Christ can be transplanted into a community of people that knows nothing about the gospel of Christ and they can be God in that place because they are enough. Are you ready for that in your life? Are you ready to be dropped, parachuted into a group that knows nothing about who Jesus Christ is, about what God is, about what he has done for them? Are you ready to go and to share that with them? That is your calling. That is your calling, regardless of, of you, if you've known Christ for six months, if you've known Christ for a year, for 10 years, for 30 years, 40, 50, whatever the, the time frame may be, we are called to go and make disciples. And we can because he says we are enough. Jehovah Jireh, the God, our provider, says, I am present in every circumstance that you find yourself. And because he is, I don't have to be. It's so freeing when you come to that realization. It's so freeing when you recognize that that character trait, that aspect of God, that I can give up my endless pursuit of trying to obtain the grace that I was never able to get to in the first place because it has already been obtained for me. There's an illustration that I, I've seen before. This little boy is sneaking into the, the pantry and there's the, the cookie jar at the very top of the shelf. And he's, he's sure that he can get it with all of his, his two feet nothing up to the 10-foot the high shelf. And I'm sure that we can make it to the top, right? And so he's, he's climbing to try and get to it. And his mom's all the, all the while, hey, come to the kitchen. I have something for you. And he, he gets maybe halfway and, and he slips and he falls and he has to start over again and he keeps trying and trying and trying and he can never get it and he's so frustrated and he's so angry with himself that finally he goes out to his mom to say, well, I guess I can't have a cookie and his mom has the plate of cookies there waiting for him the whole time. His best effort didn't matter because it was already there for him. There's an author, Timothy Paul Jones, and he has this, this illustration that is so completely fitting. It's not an illustration. This is a real-life story that he experienced. He says, I never dreamed that taking a child to Disney World could be so difficult. 
or that such a trip could teach me so much about God's outrageous grace. Our middle daughter had been previously adopted by another family. I'm sure this couple had the best intentions, but they never quite integrated the adopted child into their family of biological children. After a couple of rough years, they dissolved the adoption, and we ended up welcoming an eight-year-old girl into our home. For one reason or another, whenever our daughter's previous family vacationed at Disney World, they took their biological children with them, but they left their adopted daughter with a family friend. Usually, at least in the child's mind, this happened because she had done something wrong that precluded her presence on the trip. And so by the time we adopted our daughter, she had seen many pictures of Disney World. She'd heard about the rides. She'd heard about the characters and the parades. But when it came to passing through the gates of the Magic Kingdom, she had always been the one left on the outside. Once I found out about this history, I made plans to take her to Disney World as the next time that I had a speaking engagement took me and our family to the southern United States. I thought I had mastered the Disney World drill. I knew from previous experience that the prospect of seeing cast members in freakishly oversized mouse and duck costumes somehow turns children into squirming bundles of emotional instability. What I didn't expect was the prospect of visiting this dream world would produce a stream of downright devilish behavior in our newest daughter. In the month leading up to our trip to the Magic Kingdom, she stole food when a simple request would have gained her a snack. She lied When it would have been easier to tell the truth, she whispered insults that were carefully crafted to hurt her older sister as deeply as possible. And as the days on the calendar moved closer to the trip, her mutinies multiplied. A couple of days before our family headed to Florida, I pulled our daughter into my lap to talk to her about her latest escapade. And she said, I know what you're going to do. She said, Flally, you're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? The thought hadn't actually crossed my mind, but her downward spiral suddenly started to make some sense. She knew she couldn't earn her way into the Magic Kingdom, and she had tried and failed that test several times before, so she was living in a way that placed her as far as possible from the most magical place on earth. In retrospect, I'm embarrassed to admit that in that moment, I was tempted to turn her fear to my own advantage. The easiest response would have been, if you don't start behaving better, you're right, we won't take you. But by God's grace, I didn't. Instead, I asked her, is this trip something that we're doing as a family? And she nodded, brown eyes wide and tear-rimmed, and are you part of my family? And she nodded again. Then you're going with us. Sure, there are consequences to help you remember what's right and what's wrong, but you are a part of our family and we're not leaving you behind. I'd like to say that her behaviors grew better after that moment. They didn't. Her choices pretty much spiraled out of control. Every hotel and rest stop along the way to Lake Buena Vista. Still, we headed to Disney World on, on the day that we had promised. And it was a typical Disney day, overpriced tickets, overpriced meals, and a lot of lines mingled with just enough manufactured magic to consider maybe going again sometime. In our hotel room that evening, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted, pensive and a little weepy at times, but her month-long facade of rebellion had faded. And when bedtime rolled around, I prayed with her and held her and asked, so how was 
your first day at Disney World. She closed her eyes and she snuggled down into her stuffed unicorn and after a few moments she opened her eyes ever so slightly and said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It was because I'm yours. It wasn't because I'm good. It was because I'm yours. Grace isn't a favor you can achieve by being good. It's the gift that you receive by being God's. Grace is God's goodness that comes looking for you when you have nothing but a a hand in the face of Jesus. It's a a farmer paying a full day's wages to a crew uh, of laborers who are deadbeats, who only showed up to work for an hour, and yet they got paid the full amount. It's a man marrying a woman who has been living in adultery, who is refusing to forsake his marriage covenant with her, even though she turns out to be a prostitute, like we see in Hosea. It's the insanity of a shepherd who puts all 99 sheep aside and goes after the stupid lamb who decided to go off a cliff. It's that type of craziness. It's the love of a father who hands over the finest rings, the best robe, and kills the fatted calf to a son who has squandered his inheritance on drunken binges, on fair-weather friends, It's one-way love that calls you into the kingdom not because you've been good, but because God chose you. But the amazing thing about God's grace is that it's not just what God would do. It's what he did do. God could have chosen to save anyone. He could have chosen to save everyone. He could have chosen to save no one from Adam's line. But what God did was he chose a a multicolored, multi-hued array of someones. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are one of those someones. God in Christ has declared over you that I could have chosen anyone in the world to be my child, and I chose you. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, neither my love nor my choice will ever change. That's grace. This morning, as we conclude our series, there is one more definition that we're called to take on. And and this definition is different than anything else that we've talked about. Each of the points that we've talked about up till now have been words that God has spoken over us. 
in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, where we, we find ourselves in life. And if we look at the list that we started with at the beginning of this series, it says, I am a saint. It says, I am faithful in Christ Jesus. I'm given grace, made a part of Christ's body. I'm given mercy and peace. I'm blessed with spiritual blessings. I'm chosen. I'm holy and blameless and loved and predestined for adoption. I'm forgiven. I'm lavished with grace. I'm given knowledge of the mysteries of his will. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Guaranteed an inheritance. Given faith and hope and power. Made alive in Christ. Christ. I'm saved, I'm raised up with Christ, seated in the heavenly places. I'm made a display of God's kindness. I'm given the gift of salvation. I'm God's workmanship. I'm created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I'm no longer a stranger. I'm reconciled to God. I'm given access to the Father. I am a fellow citizen of the saints. I am a member of God's household. I'm a holy temple. And this morning we learned that I am enough. And in response to those things, because of all of those things, because of who God says I am, because of who God is, the, the final answer to our question is that I am content. I choose this day and every day to be content in his provision. And it's different, right? It's it's different because these are things that God is speaking over us. These are truths that God is speaking over us. And to be content is a choice. It is up to me to choose to be content. I choose to be content knowing that because he is enough. I am enough. As we prepare to to go to the communion table this morning, Let us pause for a moment. Let's be still for a moment. Like we talked about last week, being being comfortable in that awkward silence, in that, that place of recognizing that God desires to speak to his children. In that, that time where we come to the table and we, we recognize that Jesus Christ paid a price. God, we come this morning and we, we quiet our hearts. God, would you speak to us today? Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 